hello, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks for giving the show a listen this week, and download, a view, wherever it is that you are. We are just so grateful that you are here. Question for you, who wants to grow old? Show of hands. Who wants to grow old? Nobody. Of course, anti-aging, it is a multi-billion dollar industry filled with millions of can't-miss gadgets and creams, all of them promising to erase skin blemishes and smooth out wrinkles. You have bags under your eyes? No problem. Just rub this on and they will be gone in seconds. And then there are the countless procedures to keep us looking 20 years younger than the birth date on our driver's license. A little nip here, a little tuck there, and a couple of plugs both here and there. The bottom line is, for whatever reason, by and large, we are terrified of getting old. So we fork over hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for these tiny jars of magical elixirs and go to great lengths just to keep Father Time at bay. But what if the Fountain of Youth isn't actually as seen on TV? What if it's not found in a cosmetic store? What if it's actually hiding in plain sight in the grocery store, right there among the apples and oranges and the spinach and kale and the vast and colorful produce section? What if the best way to age gracefully is to start by making smart decisions with what we eat? That is is what we're going to be talking about today. How not just to live longer, but how to live well. Doctors Hana Kaliova and Asha Supermanian will be here with some answers. And I have to tell you that we did a ton of research for this show, a ton of it. Dozens and dozens of studies we poured over, all of them looking at the link between nutrition and health and aging. And one that I found particularly interesting looks at the hole that we dig ourselves in when we're just children. And this is hugely important for parents. Dr. Supermanian is going to talk a little bit more about that later in the show. But this one particular study looked at almost a quarter million overweight and obese teens. They followed them for three decades. And they found that this group were nearly four times more likely to die from heart disease by middle age than their thinner peers. By middle age! And that is in stark contrast to the other studies that have shown that vegans and vegetarians live years longer on average than others. For the average man, it's almost 10 years longer, a full decade. And that is a tough pill for me to swallow as a guy who was so overweight in high school. Almost 300 pounds by the time that I graduated. Nearly couldn't fit into my graduation gown. That's how heavy I was. I had to squeeze into that thing. I'm talking about get the pliers and crank on that zipper to get it up. Joke now, but it was sad, really. And as the song goes, I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger. Then a little bit later on in the show, we're going to take a look at some other studies that show that omnivorous girls, girls who eat meat, are physically maturing at a much younger age. And what the study finds is that the more meat they eat, the greater the risk of developing cancer as well. Plus, we touch on the role of fiber in fighting aging, whether a plant-based diet is especially beneficial for those of us in middle age, and how food can also help reduce our risk of developing Alzheimer's and dementia and keep our brains just as sharp as a tack. And get this, we also look at how food can help maintain your eyesight and stave off those ultra-thick Glasses. You know what I'm talking about. Those glasses that are about 10 inches thick. They reach the room about 10 minutes before you reach the door. That is how thick those glasses are. Can food help prevent that? Just maybe. So much to dive into, but I want to start with Dr. Kaliova, who hits on a big one. Metabolism. How often do you hear obesity being blamed on a slow metabolism? All the time, right? I've used that excuse a time or two in the past. How much of a role does it actually play on weight gain as the years roll by? 
And what can we do to give that metabolism a kickstart? How can we keep it burning like we were 18? Well, let's find out. Today's show, Eating Right for Your Age. Is there a way that we should be eating in our 30s that's different from the way we should be eating in our 50s? If we're in our teens, should we be eating differently then than when we're in our 20s? That's a fine question and one that actually gets asked quite a bit. And so f to help kind of shake all that out here now with some answers from uh, upstairs at the Barnard Medical Center, uh, you are the head of research, Dr. Hanna Kaliova. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, question, is there a right way to eat for our age? Right. And should we be planning ahead? Should we planning? Should we be planning for, um, you know, 20 years from now? Uh, should we be planning for uh, when our metabolism slows down? Uh, many people say, you know, when I was 18 or 20, my metabolism was just through the roof. <laughs> I was able to eat anything right. and I wasn't gaining weight. And now I probably gain weight just from water <laughs> or from the air yeah you hear those stories <laughs> i walked by the donut shop i didn't go in but my right. butt got bigger right you know <laughs> i mean is is there you know evidence to support just how drastic of a slowdown there is with the metabolism as we get older yes observational studies suggest uh, that our metabolism slows down as we age uh, but now is it a like natural consequence of aging or is it uh, a result of the foods that we've been eating for, you know, our whole life? Mm -hmm. So that's a question, right? Right. Uh, and uh, maybe just to give us a glimpse of uh, the answer, we're running a metabolic study uh, to help people whose metabolism has slowed down. And we're testing if putting them on a plant-based diet may boost their metabolism. And uh, it seems like our data show that we're able to boost their metabolism, uh, which means um, it's not only about aging. There's something we can do about our metabolism and how we process foods. Yeah, I think that kind of – it does make sense to me that if you've been eating, you know, heavily processed foods for 10, 20, 30 years – that will, as they say, catch up with you at some point. Um, and I think that, you know, from my perspective, I can tell you that even after I lost the weight, I didn't go vegan. But when I did, I felt like my metabolism sped up. I felt like yes. I had way more energy, you know. And, and so it doesn't surprise me in the study the preliminary results are showing what they are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and... Uh you know, if you're eating um, a lot of saturated fat, a lot of animal products in your diet for 20, 30 years, uh, the saturated fat is not disappearing. Mm -hmm. You know, it gets deposited in your cell mem membranes and uh, uh, that it makes the cell membranes more rigid. And uh, the insulin receptor is embedded in the cell membrane. So if the cell membrane is more rigid, the insulin receptor is not able to work properly, uh, which means that when insulin comes and tries to open the insulin receptor, open the door for glucose to come in into the cells so that the cells have uh, enough energy, um, you know, glucose is not able to get in as easily. Um, because our cell membranes are rigid and they don't allow the insulin receptor to work properly. Right. So it has far-reaching consequences, not only for our metabolism, body weight, but also how we're able to metabolize the food that we're eating. Right. Well, let's talk about that. Does the body uh, – I, I mean, let me let me just ask the lay question because I think that if, if somebody doesn't study nutrition and, and isn't really familiar with it, which, you know, seems like it is the majority. Of, of people uh, in this country, do we absorb fat differently as we age? Do we tend to hold on to more of it, uh, say, in our 50s than in our 20s? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, and again, if your absorption uh, is different at the age of 50 compared to when you were 20, uh, is it really um, a consequence of aging itself mm. or is it uh, a result of all the dietary choices you've made? 
and uh, our dietary choices also influence our gut microbiota composition. And uh, we uh, right now we're running another study looking at the microbiome composition, and we uh, are we were able to show that when people switch to a plant-based diet, their gut microbiome changes. Uh, they get more of the beneficial bacteria um, that have positive metabolic benefits. You know. The, it all comes back to the gut bacteria, doesn't yeah. it? it? It is fascinating, like how much of the body is kind of controlled by that one particular area, right down to the food cravings that we yeah. have, you know? And if there's imbalance, um, you know, you absorb more fat, for example, from your diet, uh, the the difference may be pretty drastic. Really? Uh, what what type of a difference would you say? Could you could you quantify that? Uh, about 150 to 200 calories per day, uh, you know, only uh, by influencing your gut bacteria composition. Really? So if there's an imbalance, because it comes down to how you're able to uh, absorb fat and also, um, you know, get use of all the nutrients from your diet. Uh, that. Uh, okay, so you're talking... So over the long term of yeah. 20 years, that yeah. makes a huge difference. I, I mean, you know? enormous. So, uh, I mean, really, you're talking about as much as 1,400 calories per week. That's right. almost a right. full day's worth of yeah. calories yeah. per week. Right. So if you think about it in those terms, I mean, <laughs> I mean, how many extra days worth of food are you eating? You know, know. something like yeah. 50 or, or something <laughs> like that? That's... You think about it like that, like mm -hmm. that's that's a lot of calories. And that's, yeah. you know, over the course of one year. And then you're talking exactly. about 20, 30 years. I mean, no wonder. No wonder our waist is a little exactly. wider as we get older. So you want to feed your gut bacteria well. Right. And how do you feed them well? Uh, the main fuel for the good bacteria in your gut is... Um, oligosaccharides that are in plant-based foods mm -hmm. that are called prebiotics. Many people talk about probiotics in yogurt or in kombucha. Uh, these are bacteria in the foods that are fermented. You know, they have some benefits. However, most of them are destroyed in your stomach because of the acidity in your stomach. So you don't get as many benefits from probiotics. However, if you don't only consume these ready-to-be-eaten bacteria, if you eat prebiotics, which are the food for your own bacteria in your gut, these are these oligosaccharides in plant-based foods, you are able to feed them well so that they grow and these beneficial bacteria just take over, over the harmful ones. And uh, the most prebiotics uh, in plant foods are found in garlic, onions, and whole grains. Ooh, won't be kissing after that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the vampire diet. That's unbelievable. Um, okay, so th that's, that's really fascinating. So basically, it sounds to me like, yes or no question, yes, we do tend to hold on to more fat as we age. Yes, our metabolism does slow down as we age. Yes, it's important to watch right. what we eat, not just as we age, but certainly as you alluded to at the beginning of this interview. So, you know, start early so that you won't have all that mess built up by the time you are middle-aged or even older. Absolutely. That is fascinating. You bring so much knowledge to the show. I love mm -hmm. it. I love it. Um, any, any, you know... I've always wanted to ask you this as well, and I think that you've referenced studies, and I correct me if I'm wrong, we're not at this particular moment accepting new participants in studies. But in the future, I'm sure we will be conducting others. What is it that somebody can expect when they call up and they say, hey, I'm interested in being a study participant? What is that process like? Uh, so, first of all, uh, we ask for a 100% commitment for our research studies. Um, you know, if you just want to experiment with the vegan diet and, you know, want to go maybe 80%, 90% vegan, mm -hmm. don't participate in the study. Mm. Uh, but if you 
are willing、uh, to commit 100, then we will be happy to walk you through this process, which is fascinating. You know, it can help you with a lot of health issues.、Uh, we have studies for autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, for example.、Uh, we have studies for metabolism and for weight loss.、Uh, we have studies that look into the effect of cholesterol on serum cholesterol. And、uh, you know it's a great experience to participate in our studies. But as I mentioned, we ask for a one hundred percent commitment. Do you guys have a way of telling if if somebody's not one hundred percent committed? Like, do, <laughs> do their results maybe not kind of show what everybody else's do? Uh, absolutely, and、uh, you know we try to talk these people out of the study before we even start.、Mm-hmm. We tell them, you know, we have so many resources. We can put you in other classes that will support you in your decision to go vegan.、Mm-hmm. But if you are not sure, you want to follow one hundred percent. You know, don't do the study because. We will be publishing the results in medical journals.、Right. We will be showing what the effects of a vegan diet are on、right. your metabolism. If you're not following the diet, we don't want to report the results. Of course not. Of course, no. I mean, th- that wouldn't be an honest study, in my opinion. At that point, I think you and I actually spoke about this, and we were talking about policing and being able to figure this out anyway. I think that you once said more or less that you can tell what a person has been eating by、right. analyzing their blood. I mean, basically what they had on their plate that day, you're able to tell. That's correct.、Yeah. That <laughs> is so cool. So, say,、um, okay, so I just had a snack, a, a really random snack of some roasted chickpeas and dried figs. Like, if you took my blood, would you able to say, like, with a good deal of certainty, like, hey? I bet you he might have eaten roasted chickpeas and dried figs. Can you get that specific with it? Not that specific. Okay. <laughs> We can probably say something about、uh, the fat content of your diet. You know about、um, how much sugar there was and stuff like that. Not, gotcha. Not that specific. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Still though, that's pretty fascinating. That is fascinating, and yeah, I think Dr. Barnard has been on and talked about blood viscosity. Dr.、Mm-hmm. Niebuhr has been on, and they've talked about blood viscosity. The whole thing to me is fascinating. Yes, you you cannot cheat the system. You absolutely cannot cheat the system. So, I think, but you can work it. You know, you、yeah. can you can make it work for your benefit. Oh, you absolutely can. You absolutely can, and that is that is fascinating. Listen,、uh, we got to wrap this up, but you are welcome on the show anytime. We don't even have to schedule it. You can just knock on the door, say, "Hey, Chuck, let's do it." I'll be like, "You got it." That's how much I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, Chuck. <laughs> Dr. Kaliova is one of the hardest working people that I know, hands down, bar none. She always has her hands dirty in fascinating research. When we were talking after we got finished with the segment, she was telling me about some of the things that she's working on now, and I got to tell you, they are mind-blowingly cool. Not quite at liberty to share just yet what they are, but I can say this: hamburger lovers are going to want to hear this research. If you love a burger, your world is about to be turned upside down. Before we bring in Dr. Asha Supermanian, I wanted to take a second to say thank you to the good people over at Forks Over Knives. Really cool of them to do this. They feature the Exam Room podcast as one of their can't miss plant based podcasts with a twist. What an honor! I, I tweeted this out.、Uh, a fan tipped me off to this. They they tweeted me a link, and I retweeted it from my account at Chuck Carroll WLC. It is so cool to be on there with the likes of other plant based titans, including the great Rich Roll. That is a true honor. So I wanted to say thank you to Forks Over Knives on behalf of everyone here at the Physicians Committee. Moving on now to part two of our look at the effect of food on the aging process. Fascinating topic. Dr. Asha Supermanian is here, and she is armed with a ton of research to continue the conversation. We're about to go over decades worth of studies examining the link between food and the conditions that cut our lives short, or keep us living here for as long as possible and as 
healthy as possible. And we're not just talking about a matter of months. No, no. We are talking about years. We are talking about years. And one of the studies shows that the brains of people who eat two servings of greens every day function at a level that is 11 years younger than people who don't eat any greens. Eat your greens. Your brain automatically a decade younger. Very interesting science. We're going to dive into it right now. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee, the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll here, talking today about eating right for your age. Everybody wants to slow the aging process. Nobody's in a hurry to grow old. Like, seriously, who's sitting in at home in their 20s and 30s saying, man, I can't wait till I'm 80? Absolutely nobody. But we all want to stay young as long as possible, and that is kind of what today's show is about, is eating right for your age. How should you be eating at whatever age you are to maximize your health, keeping you feel as young as possible, and to help answer many of those questions, our very own Ponce de Leon, we welcome to the show Dr. Asha Subramanian. Welcome back. Thank you, Chuck. Glad to be here. This is an important topic. When you were a teenager, you didn't sit at home saying, man, you know, I don't want to be going to prom. I want to be going to my senior prom. By senior, I mean in my 80s at the old folks home. Oh, absolutely not. You know, I was invincible, right? We all are when we're teenagers. We think about, um, you know, how being 30 is really old when you're 16. Oh, man. Yeah. Ancient. Yeah. The 16-year-old me would think that I am indeed ancient now. You know, the funny thing is I look in the mirror, I don't even think I I look 36. You certainly (laughs) don't look your age. You know, age is but a number. And it's all about feeling good and feeling healthy. I will tell you that, you know, I lost all of my wealth, the majority of the weight before I went on a plant-based diet, thought that I felt great. Go on this plant-based diet. And honestly, I felt at least five, six, seven, if not more years younger than I was beforehand. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I agree with that. I mean, even personally, for me, um, I went on a whole food plant-based diet, vegan diet about six years ago now. Mm -hmm. And I really can tell the difference. You know, I feel like I have a lot of energy in general, a lot more than I used to, even though I've gotten older, obviously, over the years. And I know my contemporaries are always like, wow, you have a lot of energy. Um, You know, you you look younger than your age, all of that. Uh, what's, you know, what's the secret? And I think the plant-based diet and additional factors such as um, social support, exercise, meditation, stress relief, good sleep, all these things put together can really help slow down the aging process. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Absolutely. Let's, let's begin by talking about the average life expectancy. I know that this has been studied, you know, looking at tens of thousands of people, if not more. What is the life expectancy of vegetarians versus omnivores, people who are eating that standard American diet, or at the very least just incorporating meat and dairy into their diet? Yeah, so studies have found that vegetarians in general, both men and women, have a longer lifespan. So vegetarian men live to an average about 83 to 84 years, compared to non-vegetarian men who live to about an average of 73 to 74 years. Mm. So that's a big difference, almost 10 years. That's a decade right there. Yeah, absolutely. And with women, the average age that vegetarian women um, live to is about 85 to 86 years, and that's about six years um, longer than non-vegetarian women. Yeah. So the gap is a little smaller with um, women versus men, but it's still quite remarkable. Definitely significant. You know, it's funny, though, you know, 73 for non-vegetarian, 73 now, it just seems like that's still young by today's standards. You know what I mean? And then you see, like, that's actually the average life expectancy. That's That's kind of staggering to me. It is. It is. And 73 is is really young. Um, And we look at other cultures, um, our listeners, and you may have heard of the Blue Zone cultures. Oh, yeah. Um, Dan Buettner from National Geographic. Love him. Yeah, absolutely. And he he was on your show, I believe. He was. Yeah. So, you know, he and his team have studied um, the Blue Zones at at length. And, um, you know, in those cultures, being old is... 95, 100, even more than 100. Oh, yeah. So 73 is like a spring chicken, as they say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, 
I'm planning on hitting triple digits. I do not live in a blue zone. I do not foresee ever living in a blue zone. You don't know what life's going to throw at you. Sure. But yeah, I, I, wherever I am, my goal is to hit triple digits. And I think that, I think that I can. I think that I can. We should all actually shoot for triple digits. I don't see why that's just not the standard goal. I think it really should be. And I think, um, you know, I want to point out that we can live to triple digits with vigor, with energy, with yeah. good health. You know, we don't have to be this ailing 100-year-old. We could be as vibrant as we can. You know, let's let's work on maximizing our potential, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Have, have you seen Dan Buettner's presentations? Have you ever had a chance? I have. To... Fantastic. I mean, he talks about this surgeon, uh, I believe, in California who is in his late 80s, maybe early 90s, cardiothoracic surgeon, still performing surgery at that age, yes. sharp as a tack this guy. Yes. And um, I just think that even just um, in general, the populations, you know, during his presentations, um, Buettner was showing pictures of the Okinawans in Japan and um, in uh, the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica and in Greece. I think it's like called the Icaria Peninsula. Mm -hmm. And these populations where people are doing manual labor, like real farm work and then this kind of thing in their 90s. Hundred. Oh, look at this guy! You know, on his fishing boat, he's a hundred and five, and it, it's amazing because in our culture, you know, in America, we think of oh, he passed away. He was really old. Well, how old was he? Seventy-five, eighty, mm. no, eighty-five, and. You know, this really is testament to the power of the human body and the right. resilience of the human body and how if we treat our body as well as we can, we can really maximize our health and our well-being. I think three things come into my mind when I think about living to old age. And one, obviously, that is healthy eating. Mm -hmm. It has a lot to do with it. Uh, two – a body in motion stays in motion. Yes. So don't just sit on the couch when you retire, you know, and watch reruns for the rest of your life. Uh, and three, a purpose. You're mm -hmm. talking about a 105-year-old man out on a fishing boat. Right. He loves that boat. Yeah. He looks forward to getting up and going out on that boat every single day. Mm -hmm. I guarantee he doesn't feel like 105. I don't know what 105 feels like, obviously, right. but I bet you he doesn't either because he may be 105 on paper. But if he's still out there fishing every day, I mean, he's got to feel like a spry 92, <laughs> 87 even. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you've really um, talked about the main points. So your diet, so what you put into your body, how you fuel your body, movement, so exercise, and then also having a purpose. So, you know, that can encompass individual purpose, also community purpose, mm -hmm. um, and having, you know, our social support network around us is very important. Yeah. And also, you know, reducing stress and, you know, sleeping well. Oh, stress is a dagger. How, yes. how, how much uh, sleep actually is a great stress reliever as well, though? Um, yes. Uh, how much sleep uh, do you get in a typical night? I know that they say like eight. I have a real hard time getting eight hours of uninterrupted sleep. In all honesty, I can't remember the last time that I was able to do that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's individualized. The CDC and other bodies, uh, scientific bodies, they will say seven to nine hours. So okay. seven to nine hours on average for men and women is what is required. A adult adult uh -huh. um, men and women. Now, there are people who thrive on four hours, five hours of sleep. They thrive. They cannot. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they, they, and I've talked to some of these people and they say, well, you know, I could not function if you made me sleep for eight hours. I would be hungover and groggy and defeating the purpose, essentially. Then there are people who require nine, ten a little more. Right. Um, I would say the quality of our sleep is also important. So um, it's quantity and quality of sleep. Now, you know, if you can shoot for that seven to nine hours, that would be great. Um, a lot of it is also tied to cognitive um, I would, how, what's the right word? Um, basically, uh, your brain resets at night when it sleeps, mm. cleans out the cobwebs, so to speak. So, oh, okay. That's when the Roomba gets going upstairs in exactly. the old dome. Okay. Exactly. So, 
you know, there's been some presentations, I believe, on this podcast and others before about how sleep, that seven to nine hours, let's say the average amount of sleep, really helps with cognitive restructuring and, you know, getting those memories from the day into your long-term memory, getting those thoughts organized and sweeping up the cobwebs, so to speak. So, for example, in dementia patients, they found that those who sleep in that sweet spot do better than those who have slept less you know, or more. Um, there have been studies about um, early death in people who sleep too much or too little. Right. So it all, it all ties together pretty nicely. Let's turn the attention to nutrition because that is what the bulk of the show is about. Um, we heard the difference in life expectancy for vegetarians versus non-vegetarians, but specifically, have there been studies conducted on the consumption of fruits and of vegetables and how that plays a role in it? Not just eliminating meat and dairy, but I'm talking about the fruits and vegetables themselves, what effect that has. Yes. Yeah, so there was a study that was done um, and published in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. It followed about 65,000 participants mm-hmm. from, from the United Kingdom. They were 35 years of age and older, so adults. And those who consumed seven or more servings of fruits and vegetables per day, so seven or more, more than that five servings a day that we talk about right. in the U.S. Be an overachiever. Right. So be an overachiever, seven or more, they saw a 42% decreased risk of death due to any cause compared to those who consume the least amount of fruits and vegetables. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And um, fruit and vegetable consumption was also specifically associated with a 25% decreased risk of death from cancer and almost a third, 31% decreased risk from heart disease. And that's just fruits and vegetables. So food is medicine. Absolutely. Score one for the produce section. Yeah. I love it, man. Food is medicine, uh, as they say. Uh, conversely, though, what about uh, the effect of we've talked about this on the show, certainly ad nauseum, uh, the link between processed food and chronic disease. So I'm sure that there have also been studies looking at processed foods and early mortality. Yeah, absolutely. And one actually recently came out in the last month or so, published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, the Internal Medicine Journal, Mm -hmm. um, JAMA Internal Medicine. So that study looked at the diets of about 45,000 participants and it tracked mortality rates. So a 10% increase in consumption of ultra-processed foods. So these are foods that are often ready to eat or ready to heat up that have a lot of saturated fat very little fiber, um, typically heavy on the animal products. Yeah. So these kinds of foods, um, the consumption led to about a 14% increased risk of death from cancer, from high blood pressure, hypertension, from obesity, and from high cholesterol-related heart disease, essentially. Wow. So. Yeah. And um, one of the major components is, you know, the the process of processing these foods, essentially, that for example, with processed meat, um, you can have exposure to carcinogens, mm-hmm. the things like heterocyclic amines and TMAOs and things that you've all discussed on this podcast, I'm yeah, sure. of course. And so the processing itself can lead to carcinogens and other other um, things that are not good for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're, you're a parent. Yes. Um, Are you a believer in healthy habits can last a lifetime? So if you teach a child early the importance of healthy eating, they'll carry it with them for the rest of their days? Absolutely. And actually, it's really interesting because this is an interest area of mine. So when we look at the research for children, we find that what they taste in utero, so what they taste when they're not even born, when they're in the mother's womb, influences their taste later on. Get out of town. It can. Yeah, it's amazing. So there was a study done on um, carrot consumption, um, whether kids who had moms who ate more carrots during pregnancy, Mm. would they like carrots later on when they started eating carrots? And the answer was yes. No kidding. Because the amniotic fluid actually carries everything that the mother consumes. So, you know, that makes sense. So, you know, they would get a taste of carrots or they get a taste of hamburger or donuts or whatever the the mom is is eating wow so um yeah i think that's just so fascinating so you know really i think there needs to be more of a focus on counseling women even before pregnancy i would 
I would like to say, on what you do during pregnancy, you know, really will impact positively or not the the outcome for your child. So, um, you know, I hear as a parent a common thing like, oh, my kid doesn't like vegetables. My kid hates fruit. They only like chicken nuggets and that's it. And a lot of it I also feel is, you know, trying, um, being persistent in giving your child foods. So it can take up to 20 times of introduction to a food. Yes, I know a lot. 20 times for a child to develop the um, comfort and the taste for that food. And I also think modeling it. So if you're eating unhealthy fried foods, let's say, and you're you're giving your child kale, they're going to say, well, I want some of the French fries sure, and not sure. the kale. But if you're eating kale, you're like, wow, this kale is excellent. And look how beautiful green color it is. And it yeah. tastes great. Then I think and I found this from my experience, at least, that your child will be more likely to try foods that are considered healthy um, and also, you know, appreciate them more. And I can say my own daughter, I mean, it's not 100 percent, but she, um, let's see, some of her favorite vegetables actually are kale. She loves kale. She loves tofu. Um, she loves black beans. She loves all sorts of fruits. Um, these are things that are unlikely to be heard in, in like in our preschool probably a lot of the kids don't like these kinds of foods right so. right no that's that's definitely yeah. probably unique for her for her class but i yeah. will say hey if the goal is to live to 100 she is she's well on her way even though she's just in preschool that's amazing well i try i try and you know it's not perfect and um you know, I also want to add, I don't want to put pressure on women either. I think in society in general, there's a lot of pressure of being the perfect mom and the perfect working mom if you work outside the home. And, and I don't um, want to put pressure on women that, oh, you have to be perfect during your pregnancy. But just adding some more fruits and vegetables to your diet, varying your diet with some healthy foods, beans, grains, legumes – this will really take you far, I think, once your child is born and you're introducing healthier foods to your child. Well, let's say that uh, the healthy foods aren't introduced early in life mm-hmm. and you become an overweight teenager. I certainly was. You know, by the time I graduated from high school, I was almost 300 pounds already. Um, what, you know, generally speaking, if that person doesn't turn their life around, what are we talking about in terms of life expectancy there? Yeah, so um, studies have found that people who were obese or overweight in adolescence were three to four times likely to have died of heart disease by middle age mm. as compared to thinner peers. So a study of about 220,000 um, teens in Norway um, where they were measured uh, for body mass index, and this was part of their Norwegian Health Survey. And those people, those teenagers, were followed for 35 years, so quite a long time. Yeah, so their cohort not teenagers was anymore. Yeah, not teenagers anymore. <laughs> so the, the ones that were overweight and obese were found to be two to three more times likely to die from colon cancer or respiratory disease. So that just blows my mind. I mean, yeah. thinking that the overweight status. Now, I'm not saying this dooms you to have colon cancer, Chuck, or anybody else who may have been overweight as a teen. Um, But on the other hand, the fact that decades later, there's a higher risk of colon cancer, respiratory disease. With women, there was a higher risk of cervical cancer if they had obesity or overweight in the the teenage years. Um, Sudden death for both genders also was found. So just really, really amazing. So really what you do in the earlier part of your lifespan really will impact you when you're 80, 90, 100. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. I, I do wonder, though, if that study, um, how many participants of that study remained obese throughout the duration of it. I would right. imagine that those numbers fluctuate greatly if somebody did lose all of that weight. Absolutely. And that's something that I want to emphasize as well. You know, we we can positively impact where we are. So for example, if and you're in a great example of this. So Thank you you. Know, you mentioned you were an overweight teen and then you've mentioned before you were a morbidly obese adult and then you've turned everything around. So we can and that does not mean you're going to be doomed. Of course, we don't know what 
holds for you or any of us in the future. But, you know, let's do everything we can to try to positively impact our health outcomes. I want to ask you, a lot of people equate, you know, puberty, maturation as part of the aging process. And so one of the things Dr. Barnard and I have talked about on this show is that if there is, especially with dairy products, that really does speed up in, in, in young girls in particular, you know, the puberty process. I mean, has that also been shown to um, uh, to be the case with meat? Like, has, has that sped up the, the puberty process there as well? I would assume, and this is just a wild guess, maybe because of hormones from whatever meat it was that they were consuming? Yes, that's exactly right. So um, there have been studies on girls who eat dairy, but also girls who eat meat products during childhood having an earlier occurrence of puberty. And we find in general that puberty used to be 14, 15 years old, mm-hmm. or even 13 to 15 years old. And now we're seeing puberty in girls as young as eight and nine, which leads to a whole host of other social problems and social um, concerns as well. When you have girls who are in elementary school going through puberty um, and not knowing what's happening and this and that. And um, I feel like that the fact that diet could impact puberty and and we can do something about it is so important. So, um, you know, this study looked at how many portions of meat per week um, and was um, the intake of that in the girls, and 49% of girls who ate more than 12 portions of meat a week, so maybe, what, two a day, lunch and dinner, right. something on average, they started their periods by age 12 compared to those um, 35% who ate fewer than four portions of meat a week. So essentially, wow. eating the meat, eating the dairy, I completely agree, the, the meat and dairy, you know, both have... Um, the steroid hormones, essentially you're eating, especially with dairy, you're eating estrogen, um, mm-hmm. you're eating hormones with meat. It depends if the meat has been, um, if the animals have been uh, treated with antibiotics and, right. and hormones and things like that for growth. Um, so, so yes, definitely, you know, we, we have an epidemic, I would say, of early puberty in the U.S., and um, I think dietary factors are really important in that. We hear a lot about people who begin packing on pounds, say that they were slim as a teenager, but then they get into their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, and the weight starts to creep on. A lot of times that gets blamed on, oh, well, I have a slow metabolism now. Really, how does the metabolism change in the body as we age? Yeah, so really this is an illusion um, in the sense that, yeah, so it doesn't have to be that way. But what we find is thermogenesis, so essentially how the food is processed as part of your metabolism, that stays pretty steady throughout your life. But what can change is your muscle mass. Um, So typically in the average person, they're moving less, they're exercising less, their muscle mass is going down, their percent of body fat is going up. And fat as a tissue as an active metabolic tissue we're finding more and more is burning less calories than is muscle. Hmm. So what can we do? So if we can help maintain or even build our muscle mass as we age through strength training, through exercise, and also um, having a healthy plant-based, whole food plant-based diet, um, this will help maintain your metabolism. And as you and others have found uh, if you do these kinds of things, you you don't have that weight gain every year or five years or ten years that society seems to say, oh, well, you're older, you gain weight. Right, right. It doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen, exactly. So um, essentially what you're doing is by building muscle mass, you're keeping the basal metabolic rate um, high and you're decreasing that percent of body fat and and you can maintain your weight for years, decades. I would think that if a person is eating the high-fat diet, which I assume that they are, if they are packing on those pounds even at a a slower rate, that that is going to negatively impact the metabolism somehow? Yes. So the studies that have been most robust in this, and Dr. Barnard and his team, as well as others, have found this, is with diabetic patients or patients with high blood sugars. 
Um, and we found that those who have the highest intake of saturated fat in particular um, can get insulin resistance and high levels of blood sugar. And this is due to the phenomenon called intramyocellular lipids. So essentially, Ooh, say that three times fast. I know, intramyocellular can I say it fast again? <laughs> <laughs> say it fast once. Yeah. Intramyocellular lipid. So, right. So essentially what happens is, you know, people think that diabetes is because you eat too many carbs. Right. So there's been a whole movement and different iterations about low-carb eating, you know, low-carb, high-fat. Mm. So there was South Beach and Atkins and then Paleo and now it's the Keto. And we find, though, the research is very robust around the fact that when you have a high-fat diet, um, the, that, the saturated fat essentially gums up the, the lock and key mechanism of your own insulin. Right. And therefore, the blood sugar that should be getting in to the cells for use for energy doesn't, and it hangs around in the blood, and then you develop essentially diabetes and its complications, and getting that fat out of the diet will help your own body heal and help those mechanisms recover. So there was a study done at Virginia Tech on only 12 college-age men. So they were looked at either a standard American diet um, or a diet even higher in saturated fat for about five days. And then they had these poor men had to have muscle biopsies to Ouch. look at the fat in the muscle cells. And those who had consumed the highest fat diet experienced a threefold increase in toxins um, almost an hour after their meal. And they lost some ability to metabolize glucose. And this was only in five days. Ooh. So five days of a high fat eating pattern, so to speak. Now... Think about a lifetime of that and right. what happens. Right. So again, this is evidence that we can stave off diabetes just because your mom and dad and your uncle and whoever has it, you're not doomed. Um, most of these chronic diseases that we see that occur over and over in our society, it's 5% of the time related to pure genetics. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, we can do something about it. We can improve or we can even reverse the 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 genes um i would say the genes the the phenotypes so the outcome of the genes right yeah. I, i'd love and i've stated this so so frequently i absolutely love the study of epigenetics me you know, too absolutely. I, it fascinates me to no end the fact that you can have twin brothers who go separate paths and wind up in two completely separate places but are essentially the same human being you know one could die of heart disease the other one could live to be 95 and you know goes out fishing every day you know and and that's just epigenetics man it's about what you put into your body essentially yeah absolutely so you know i always tell patients i know it's n it's not good to be told by a doctor you have a strong family history of this, that, or the other, but a lot of times we can do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even with atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat, mm -hmm. um, we have found there's been studies recently done that um, eating more um, whole grains and beans, fruits and vegetables, so moving more towards a whole food plant based diet can really help the expression of atrial fibrillation. The reason I bring this up, and I don't know if this is related at all because I did not know him, but we know the actor Luke Perry um, just passed away of a stroke. Right. And atrial fibrillation, this irregular heart rhythm, um, much um, increases the risk of stroke. So yeah. um, again, I don't know his medical situation at all, but I've just been thinking about it because he was only 52 years old. Young man. And I grew up with watching 90210, like yeah. probably the rest of us. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I, I, I will admit. I'm man enough to admit that I watched that show as yes. well. No problem. Um, so it sounds like a plant-based diet then could be particularly beneficial for a middle-aged man who has not necessarily been eating the healthiest diet up until that point. Maybe they want to, you know, they realize, okay, now I've got young children, I've got a wife, I've got a reason to live, it's time for me to clean things up. Those are the kind of people maybe that this diet is especially beneficial for? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I can't quantify that it's 5% more beneficial in middle-aged men versus, right. 
younger women or whatnot. But on the other hand, you know, the PCRM um, has done a scientific review um, in progress in cardiovascular diseases, um, the journal. So uh, PCRM and others looked at multiple clinical trials. They did analyses of this, and they found that in middle-aged adults at risk for cardiovascular disease, and we'll talk about some of the risk factors in a minute, Yeah, but we found that plant-based diets reduce the risk of, disease, of death from cardiovascular disease by about 40%, the risk of coronary heart disease by the same 40%. Um, it can full or even partially open up blocked coronary arteries. And this is um, actually a lot of um, evidence from both um, Caldwell Esselstyn's research as well as Dean Ornish. Mm-hmm. Um, they both have shown this to, which is amazing, that coronary artery plaques can be dissolved by the way you eat rather yeah. than medications and yeah. such. Um, it can reduce the risk of hypertension. It can also lower cholesterol. So middle-aged men tend to be at risk for cardiovascular disease in general because often many of them are obese or overweight, sure. smoking, alcohol intake, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Um, also, diabetes is a huge risk factor. Right. So, you know, we have an epidemic of diabetes, of heart disease, of high blood pressure, of high cholesterol, you know, in our country. And a lot of times, I think, um, unfortunately, due to lack of education in medical school, um, due to lack Lack of time for counseling. A lot of times, patients and I, you know, I'm a patient too. Um, we all are at some point. We're told take this medicine, take that medicine, and no one really emphasizes diet and lifestyle. But I think there's so much to be gained by that, as we've discussed. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's so funny. I remember hearing a story of somebody who went on a plant-based diet and had been on all of these medications. Obviously, their numbers improved greatly. Um, I believe that this was this particular anecdote has to do with high blood pressure medication. Um, but they go to the doctor for a checkup. Their blood pressure at that point is low. And instead of the doctor saying, well, you don't need to take the blood pressure medication anymore, the doctor said, you need to start eating meat again so your blood, your blood pressure will come up. Wow. Yeah. That blows my mind. Right. I mean... That, look, that's just incredible. I'm not an MD. I don't proclaim to be. Yeah. Um, but at some point, and this is me speaking, not for the organization, this is me speaking, at some point, common sense has to kick in. I don't care how you feel about plant-based diets. I think that anybody can objectively look at that and mm-hmm. say, okay, let's rethink this approach here. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, say somebody has you know, really kind of shot themselves in the foot, say that they are, you know, they've got the diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, number of chronic conditions at that point, I would assume then that their life expectancy as well, uh, or I'll put it to you this way, they're accelerating the aging process pretty, pretty rapidly. They are, and that's a good way to put it. Um, you know, there's been a lot of studies about folks with two or more chronic diseases, such as the ones you mentioned, and increased risk of dying prematurely. JAMA did another study, um, or sorry, a published a study that was done on approximately 690,000 participants mm-hmm. that was done in the UK. And those with stroke, diabetes, and heart disease did experience up to four times the mortality rate as compared to those with only one or two of those conditions. So the life expectancy was reduced by somewhere between 12 and 15 years. Wow. Just incredible. Wow. That is the polar opposite of uh, that uh, life expectancy that we did at the top of the show, vegetarians versus non-vegetarians. Right. I mean, you've just like flipped that right on, on its head. Yeah. That's unbelievable to me. Um we're kind of running long here, but I, I, I can't let you go without talking a little bit about cognitive decline in Alzheimer's disease and dementia, which is so prevalent, not mm-hmm. just obviously here in this country, but it's really kind of become this global epidemic. Um, what age is does normal cognitive decline begin for everybody? You know, do we does our brain start to go south in our 20s, in our 30s? At what point? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I was actually trying to review the research before this podcast on it. (laughs) And there isn't a whole lot of research on looking at 
I'll call them the blue zone populations and such about whether they do start declining much later? I mean, the answer anecdotally is yes. Right. Um, but I'm not familiar with the actual studies on the blue zones. But mm. we find that in folks who eat the SAD diet, the standard American diet, in your 20s and 30s, you can certainly have cognitive decline, um, which is really scary. So it can start that early, and then it often accelerates after age 60 or 65. Um, Some of it is because these chronic diseases we've talked about, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, are coming to a head. Um, Dean and Aisha Shurzai, so Team Shurzai, they're called. Um, They are neurologists, fantastic folks, plant-based. I've heard um, their work. Um, They are based out of California. So they've done a lot of work on the Loma Linda um, populations of Blue Zone. Oh, yeah. um, On cognitive decline and dementia and, you know, what are the factors that we might be able to to improve or reverse. So one of them, of course, is plant-based diet. So those who eat fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grains, beans, they can protect against the Alzheimer's disease and other dementia risk factors. Um, There was a study published on this topic in neurology. So um, those who eat more meat and dairy products, we're finding that they're more likely to have dementia and cognitive decline. Mm. Um, And um, there was there was um, the authors of the study in neurology, so they noted that some modifi- some modifiable risk factors such as diet um, account for almost a third, every one in three cases of Alzheimer's disease. Wow. So the posited explanation is a plant-based diet, um, exercise, social support can decrease inflammation, can add phytonutrients, fiber, and protective um, factors, you know, to to our to our conditions to preventing. Um, dementia. One of the things that I, I stumped upon when I was doing research for this show as well is that blueberries are, are a good thing for a cognitive function. So, you know, keep the brain sharp, eat those blueberries. Yep. Um, trans fats, though. Mm-hmm. I, I need to ask you about trans fats real quick. Those in particular, those are big time offenders when it comes to cognitive function, correct? Yes. So we don't want saturated fat. Um, We don't want trans fats. We want to try to keep away from those. Um, Again, you know, there's a lot of research on the saturated fat and um, functioning of cells, but also um, AGEs, so um, advanced glycosylated end products, and how um, meat and dairy and trans fats can lead to higher levels of AGEs, Mm -hmm. you know, resulting in dementia Mm -hmm. and other, other cognitive issues. And blueberries are fantastic. They are deeply pigmented. They have anthocyanins. Um, Black beans, I did not know this until recently, but black beans are also in not as much as blueberries, but they also have those protective pigments. Who knew? Yeah, Black beans and blueberries. Yeah. The the good bees. And they're delicious. Um, (laughs) All right. Uh, Here's one that just blows my mind real quick. We can just touch on this. True or false, a person's diet, what they eat can actually affect the physical size of their brain. That has been found, which was really amazing to me. So um, there was a study done in Scotland on about 500 folks. Um, I believe they were um, men, but I'm not completely sure on that. They were ages around 73 to 75 years old. And those who had lower adherence to a plant-based diet, they were associated with greater reduction in total brain volume after Mm. about a three-year period. Mm-hmm. So the benefit, um, the beneficial effects were not associated with the meat and fish consumption. So it was more like how how much fruit and vegetables are you getting in? You know, it wasn't how much meat and fish you were getting in. So it's interesting because it's you want to add the good stuff is really what your your bottom line is. Final question for you. We know that, um, you know, drinking milk, what the research we've done here at the Physicians Committee has shown is that drinking milk uh, neither helps prevent osteoporosis uh, or improves bone density. So we've covered that. Don't feel the need to talk about that right now. I do want to ask you about vision because Mm -hmm. this last thing, I I had no idea. What role do animal products play in maintaining good vision as we age? Yeah, so studies have found that eating animal products increases the risk of cataracts, which really blew my mind. How about that? 
just amazing. So there was a study recently done in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. It was um, looking at the EPIC study from Europe, about 28,000 participants. So meat intake was associated with a higher risk of cataracts, and this went down as long as you reduced your meat consumption. So the vegans in this group had the least number of cataracts. And that was just really interesting to me. Um, this was adjusted for age and smoking and such. And, you know, following a plant-based diet, you could reduce your risk of cataracts by 40%. Mm. So I have not seen myself any research in the ophthalmology world on this, but I think that would be a fantastic avenue of research. I think so, too. Yeah. You know? And uh, glaucoma. And right. Just a lot of the other eye, macular degeneration, um, a lot of the other diseases and I know macular degeneration in particular um, once you're diagnosed you're said you're told to eat green leafy vegetables and um, just fruits and vegetables in general but what about doing it before so you don't you might not get it as badly. Um, who knows? We don't know. Let me tell you something. My grandfather didn't have the cleanest diet in the world but he ate carrots like he was Bugs Bunny. Okay? This man had vision that was sharp as attack until the day that he died unbelievable to me he was eating things that he shouldn't have but he was he was like just ate so many carrots and he he would say to me he's like he'd take a bite of it and there was that big crunch you know and then he would be like they make your eyes sparkle kid i was like all right so that always stood with me so i always equated fruits and vegetables i guess with healthy vision i just had no idea how strong of a link there actually was that is fascinating research fascinating it is and i hope to see more of that kind of research out yeah, as yeah. well now you uh, you are out and about in the community, Doctor Supermanian. You you are a uh, very <laughs> you, you just you get out there, you see the people, and then you come in here and you talk a little bit about it. But if somebody wants to uh, catch up with you in the Washington D.C. area, what do you have going on right now? Yeah, so one of the things that um, we have going on right now is walk with a doc. So mm -hmm. that's D O C, and what it is is it's a free community walk that we hold every third Saturday of the month. Our mm -hmm. next one will be in Wheaton at Brookside Gardens, and it will be on Saturday, March 16th at 11 a.m. It's very informal, no registration required. All ages and abilities are welcome, and you get to walk with me and another doctor from the community and ask us questions and socialize with other like-minded folks, and it's really a great time. And We started it in October, and it's been really fun, and we hope to grow it. Let me tell you something. That is a good way to cut down your health care costs. That is a free visit with the doctor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's great. I remember the last time you were here, I think you were just about to have your first walk. So, right, yeah. right. So we're well on our way. So that's one of the community events I do. I'm also on Twitter at, at Dr. Asha Sub. So D-R-A-S-H-A-S-U-B. So for those on Twitter, you can contact me there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also in the process of starting a diet and lifestyle consultation and education practice. So now, for, this is important information. Yeah. So for those who are interested, um, you can email me directly at diawellness at gmail.com. That's D like dog, I-Y-A, wellness, all one word at gmail.com, and I would be happy to meet with you and talk with you and see how we can work together. I personally recommend doing just that. Send that email right now, boys and girls. Uh, Dr. Asha Subramanian, thank you so much for your time. This has really been enlightening to me. I mean, there are so many more aspects of this. We didn't get to particular forms of cancer that can lead to uh, hair loss. N not the treatment, obviously. People know about chemo causing hair loss, but actual the cancer itself also causing hair loss, but being able to reduce that risk of cancer by eating a plant-based diet. We didn't get into any of that. There's just so much that goes into this. I mean, there's so much that goes on as we age. But the exciting thing to me is that the research continually shows that if you eat that whole food, that plant-based diet, then your aging process should be, generally, you're giving yourself a better shot at aging smoothly being that 105 year old fisherman how about that absolutely i agree and thank you so much for having me on your show cool
Cool stuff, right? We have posted a link to all of those studies up on our website, pcrm.org slash podcast. If you want to put on your thinking caps, if you want to roll up your sleeves, you want to get dirty in the nutrition world, that is where you go. But be prepared. It is a lot of information. I think there's something like 25 studies that we linked off to this week. That's going to take some time. Hey, man, it's all fascinating, good stuff, right? Speaking of cool, I had something pretty incredible happen this week. Tweeted out an infographic showing plant-based foods that are high in iron. And I tweeted that with the caption, said, quote, If we've learned nothing else from Popeye, it's that there is a ton of iron in plants. Remember, he's strong to the finish because he eats his spinach. I love that old cartoon. I grew up watching it. Anyway, I'll be doggone if the official Popeye Twitter account didn't like the tweet. How about that? The official Popeye Twitter account liked that tweet. It completely made my day. And it also got me to wonder, does that mean that Popeye is vegan? Hmm. Is Popeye plant-based? That is a question for the ages. If there's anything that you'd ever like for us to talk about on the show, something that you're curious about and we haven't gotten to yet, don't be shy. Speak up. Let us know. Tweet me at Chuck Carroll WLC. Carroll with two R's and two L's. WLC standing for Weight Loss Champion. You can also tweet the show much simpler at PCRM on Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC as well or at Physicians Committee. We're hearing from so many of you guys, and I love it. I love interacting with you. You have the most incredible stories and the most intelligent questions. Frankly, I am proud to call you a listener. Some of the stories that I've heard are really, really heartwarming, and I cannot thank you enough for opening up to me, uh, not just with your stories, but coming and and asking for help, and, and that's really what the show is all about. It's about disseminating information so that you too can lead a healthier and happier life. So much to learn. So much to learn. So keep those questions and those suggestions coming. Love hearing from each and every one of you. And say, 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 have you subscribed to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee yet? Hmm? Have you? Have you? It's available wherever podcasts are hosted. That's Apple Podcasts. That's CastBox. That's Stitcher. New shows, new information, new inspiration is available each and every week. Just go ahead and subscribe. And please, when you do, leave a five-star rating and nice comment if you would be so kind. And we can't wrap up the show this week without giving a Big old shout out to schools in New York City. The city's public schools are adopting meatless Mondays citywide, and they are making plant-based meals available to all one million students that are enrolled there. That's the largest school system in the entire country. No small feat at all. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams and his staff, I guarantee, have worked tirelessly to get this thing pushed through. Matter of fact, he and I talked a little bit about that when he was on the show a few months back. Mayor Bill de Blasio, in a release to the media, stated, quote, We are expanding Meatless Mondays to all public schools to keep our lunch and planet green for generations to come. Amen to that, brother. New York has long been a leader, believe it or not, for healthy school lunches. Did you know this? I didn't know this. One of their elementary schools, I believe it's called the Active Learning Elementary School, was actually the first all-vegetarian public school in the entire country. Not just the city, the entire country. And then, after that ball got rolling, two other schools in the city followed suit. And now... All schools are participating in Meatless Monday. That is progress. That is huge. So I can't think of any better way to end the show this week than on that high note. Especially after hearing about how important it is that healthy eating begins at an early age. Establish those healthy eating habits as children and they will last for a lifetime. Why go through life with a greater risk of cancer? Why go through life with a greater risk of heart disease? Why why do so with a greater risk of Alzheimer's when all of this research points to the effect of a plant-based diet actually lowering the risk of cancer, of heart disease, of Alzheimer's, of so many chronic diseases? And oh, by the way, 
it also increases your chances of living a longer life. How cool is that? Not just a long life, a healthy life. So for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based. We'll be right back. 